You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, welcome. Welcome back to church. Welcome Orangeville is online. Welcome everybody. Just great for us to be here. We're continuing in our summer stories, the parable of Jesus series. And this morning we're in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. We're just picking up from where we left off last week. And uh, we're looking at two small but very powerful parables that Jesus told his the crowd and also the disciples. The first one is the parable of the mustard seed. And the second one is the parable of leaven. And I'd like to start by telling you a little bit of a story about myself. I tend not to like to do this, but I think it was very evident to me as I was working through these verses, these three verses this week, how much the Spirit of God just reminded me of the struggle that has been true in my life over the years with seeing the reality and the truths in these parables come to life in my life. So in the year 1981, I was a first-year student at the University of Waterloo. And uh, like some first-year students, I was wondering about the path that I was on, whether that was really going to lead to true fulfillment in in my life. I'll spare you with all the details, but I would just have to say that my life was okay. It wasn't like super bad. It wasn't like really great. It was just okay. You know, my, I felt my career direction was okay. My dating life was okay. My God time was okay. You could just add okay to everything. It was just, it was just okay. You know, I was just kind of doing life. And, and in that year, I, I had this thing inside of me. It's just like, I want more. I want more than what I have. I want more than where I'm at. And so I found myself at a winter retreat um, in 1981, and I'm 19 years old, and I'm in this auditorium, a little bit smaller than this auditorium, and this older man, someone probably around my age today, it's interesting, isn't it, the perspective that we gain, this older guy stands up, he's just a short guy, Nothing special about him. He just opens God's word and he begins to speak about Peter and Jesus' call on his life. And as he's preaching his message, I don't remember anything else other than that. As he's preaching his message, it just kind of dawned on me. It's like the Spirit of God kind of invaded me in, in my space in that moment. It dawned on me in that moment that I only had one life to live. And that if I only had one life to live, I need to live that life for Jesus and for his kingdom. And so I resolved in that moment, on that evening, to serve Jesus and to seek his kingdom with my life. And praise the Lord, I have not wandered away from that commitment. For me, that meant a total change of direction. For those of you that have gone through the same kind of experience, it maybe hasn't changed your career path, but for me, it changed my career path. I was going into pastoral ministry, and so I totally changed, I, and I did what I only knew what, what to do. At that time, you know, I'm 19 years old, I really didn't know 
a lot of what I was supposed to do. And so I just became ambitious for the Lord. I wanted to do great things for God. I actually prayed that prayer. I can still remember some of my early prayers. Lord, let me do something great for you. As naive as that is, it's also kind of beautiful, too, to think that there was a stage in my life when I prayed those kinds of prayers. I was ambitious. I was energized for the Lord. I I had this passionate pursuit. I wanted to connect with other people that knew the Lord. I wanted to connect with the right people. I wanted to learn everything that I could. And so I poured myself into preparing for the work that was ahead of me. I worked at developing my abilities as a, as a pastor and as a preacher and a teacher. I remember taking, even as a 20-year-old, 20 year every single preaching and teaching opportunity that I could get. I remember those poor country churches, that a 20-year-old preaching to them, please burn the tapes now. I took internships with seasoned pastors. I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I did all those things just to get myself better. I achieved. I accomplished. I was affirmed. And my actions at that stage of my life confirmed, I think, the convictions in my life that God actually uses gifted achievers to make a difference in his kingdom. I spent many years preparing myself for church work. But God has used my lifetime to do something greater. He's equipped me for kingdom work. Sometimes there's a difference between those two. Praise be to God that in his grace and mercy, he has, is continuing to have me on a journey where he's patiently showing me in his word that God uses the insignificant, the inconsequential, and inconspicuous to advance his kingdom. You have one life to live. And if you want your life to be about the kingdom of heaven, then you should be ready for a lifelong journey where you will wrestle with the reality that God actually does use the insignificant, inconsequential, and inconspicuous to advance his kingdom. This is what these parables are about. The mustard seed and the leaven. The first one is the mustard seed. And this is where we learn, what we learn from God's word this morning. Remember, we're placing ourselves underneath the authority of God's word this morning. So this is what we learn from the mustard seed. We learn that God uses small beginnings for kingdom growth. Look at verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. We saw this last week, Matthew chapter 13. The whole chapter is full of parables of the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is trying to take these parables and actually reveal to his disciples mysteries or secrets about the kingdom of heaven, things that that they weren't expecting, things that had maybe not been taught to them before, that Jesus is revealing to them about about the kingdom of heaven. We saw last week the definition by George Ladd that the kingdom of heaven is actually the redemptive rule of God in Christ. 
the redemptive rule of God in Christ. It has both a now and a not yet to it. And Jesus talks about, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he talks about how that he's shown up, he's arriving. Now he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, Jesus is saying, now the kingdom is now, that Jesus can rule in your life now by grace through faith. If you are to, to acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, that he has saved you from the penalty of, of hell, that you too can be rescued into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. It's now, but it's also not yet that there will be one day, one day when Jesus will return and the fullness of the kingdom will be experienced. And so here, Jesus is using another parable, just like he did last week when we looked at the wheat and the weeds. He's now using another parable to tell us what this kingdom, the now and the not yet kingdom, is actually like. He says, it's, a, it's like a man who had a mustard seed. He had a grain of a mustard seed that he took and sowed in his field. That's what it's like. So a man has a mustard seed, and he plants it in his field. Now, Jesus is emphasizing, they can't, you can't miss what he's emphasizing. He's emphasizing the fact that the mustard seed is really small. It's small. Now, I thought about buying a actually container of mustard seeds that actually aren't like mustard seeds. They're just like, it's a, like, what, what do you call that? Like spice. They're very good. A spice, a spice. And they actually make them, they make them look like little mustard seeds. They're these little, little things, little things. And I was going to put one on my finger, but you wouldn't be able to see it anyways. But that's the point. The point that Jesus is making is, in relationship to the seeds that they commonly use in this time, he says it's the smallest of all seeds. That, that idea of, of the smallness of the mustard seed is, in rabbinic thought, the mustard seed was actually used as a proverb for smallness or insignificant or of little consequence. So when a rabbi was using this illustration, he's trying to illustrate the fact that it's really small, it's really not of that great consequence. But then... He plants it in his field, and what happens? It grows. And as it, as it grows, it be, ultimately becomes a tree, he says. It's larger than all of the garden plants. You say, well, what does a mustard tree actually look like? Well, it looks kind of like this. This is actually a really large mustard tree. Most of them grow to the, about the size of 8 to 12 feet. Okay, it's not, not huge. It's not like a, an oak tree. Right? We're saying, hey, you know, if I was given the illustration, I would give the illustration like it was like an oak tree or a big cedar tree, you know, or, or a redwood tree. You know, let's go down to California and look at the redwoods, how obviously awesome they are. But it's not. It's a mustard seed. It's a mustard seed that grows into a mustard tree. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. It's so big, it's so big that the birds are making their nests. It's, it's larger than the garden plants. It's it's, birds can actually nest in it, in, into, its, into, into the tree itself. Most commentators believe that this is a reference into the Old Testament, like passages like Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 6, where it says, All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. 
There's an illusion here, that most uh, allusion here, not illusion, allusion that God is that Jesus is referring to, that he's referring to the nations. A seed becomes a tree, and it actually changes the world. In other words, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven has small beginnings that grows into a mature and impactful ending. Remember, now and not yet. What's it like now? Well, it has small beginnings, and then it grows into a mature and impactful ending. So what Jesus is doing here by giving this parable is he's actually making a commentary on his own ministry. Remember Matthew 4, 17, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is now, it is here. They had this expectation that when the Messiah showed up that he would actually start a physical kingdom where he would come in and overthrow their enemies, where they could have rest from their enemies and they would establish a political power and they would have rest with God and they'd be worshiping full out in Jerusalem and the king would be, the Davidic king would be sitting on the throne and that was their envision. They were envisioning this. They weren't envisioning a small beginning. They were envisioning a big beginning. They wanted it to be established. And Jesus says, no, it's not like that. The kingdom of heaven is actually about a small, inconsequential beginning. It's like a mustard seed. Just think about the life of Jesus. Jesus comes to this earth. He leaves heaven. He comes to this earth. He becomes a human. And what form of human does he become? He becomes a baby. A baby dependent on his mother. A baby born in a stable. A baby born to parents who had hardly any money at all. They're poor. They have absolutely nothing. He lives in the city called Nazareth. You might have well said he lives in the sticks. He's just out. He's in the back country. That's like... He, he didn't even, didn't even come to Jerusalem. He lived in Nazareth. Of all places, Jesus lived in Nazareth. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, it describes him as a root from dry ground. Then he picks 12 nobodies to hang out with and pour his life into. Fishermen, tax collector, zealot, uneducated, None of them having any religious position or religious leadership. And then when he finally leaves this earth, he leaves the earth with 120 people in a room praying. That's the nowness of the kingdom, Jesus is saying. It's like a mustard seed. 120 people in a room praying. You could say, oh, he planted a church. I have nothing against church planters. We love church planters here, but that's kind of how you're kind of thinking. That's what Jesus leaves, and there's 120 people in a room praying. A small and seemingly inconsequential beginning, and yet in the history of mankind, you cannot deny the impact. That's what the kingdom is like, Jesus says. 
That's how the kingdom actually works, is what Jesus is saying. And it's how we participate in the kingdom of heaven as well. Because there is no tree without the seed. And Stark says it this way. He says, our participation in the kingdom must match the nature of the kingdom itself. Just listen to this again. Our participation in the kingdom must match the nature of the kingdom itself. If you are in God's kingdom, you're in the kingdom of heaven, you're in Jesus' kingdom, your participation in that kingdom has to match the nature of the kingdom itself. And what is the kingdom like? Well, it's like a mustard seed. So many of us want the tree, but not the seed. See, when we interact with the way of the world, when we are, you know, we do this all the time, we are bombarded with this message that difference makers, the people who actually make difference in this world, are people who have positions, or they have power, or they have influence, or they have a platform. Now, there's a word that we didn't never use ten years ago, but now we use this word. They had a platform an opportunity, they're gifted, or people who are noticed, or people who are liked. Usually we think of the difference makers in this world as people who have achieved things, who are of advanced things. In fact, I would suggest to you that the world, even today, equates maturity with achievement and advancement. They think the people who are actually the mature or the wise ones are the ones who are able to achieve things and actually advance things. That's the way the world thinks. But that's not mustard seed thinking. And the temptation, the temptation that we have, and I would suggest even our default, is that we would apply those same things that the world is talking about to the kingdom of heaven itself. But the kingdom of heaven is not like the way of the world. The way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, is actually like the mustard seed. It's small. It's humble. It's humble. And if you, like me, if you want to, you you have this one life that you're going to live in, you want to use it for Jesus, and you want to please Jesus, you want to live for his kingdom, then you're going to need to be able to embrace the mustard seed reality in your life, that you are called to humility. Humility, first and foremost. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, have this mind among yourselves, which is actually yours in Christ Jesus. Those of you that are in Christ Jesus, that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're, you're being transformed by the Spirit of God even right now. You, th- this is what you have. You have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is that? He was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was willing. He was willing. 
He willingly, Jesus Christ, willingly left heaven, came to this earth on a mission. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He took on human form. He was born in the likeness of men. And then being found in that human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Praise be to God. This is the mind of Christ for us. It's the gospel, the good news that is ours, that Jesus Christ willingly left heaven, took on the form, human form, and then became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of the death, even death on the cross. That's mustard seed stuff. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. His humility leads to rejection. He's rejected by his hometown. He's rejected by his own disciples. He's rejected by his own nation. It leads to humiliation. It culminates in his sacrifice and his death. Humility is the mustard seed of the kingdom of heaven. He humbled himself. It's the ultimate in smallness. It's thinking less of yourself. Jesus thought less of, less of himself. He sacrificed himself for us. So no matter what my position or influence is, no matter how large your platform might be, no matter how gifted you might be, no matter how much you achieve or how much you accomplish, none of that is the seed of the kingdom unless you're buried in the humility of Jesus. We must have this mind of Christ. It's how the kingdom operates. Jesus dies for us, so we die with Jesus. And this feels extremely uncomfortable. We are, and our culture is saturated with an anti-kingdom of heaven, a way of operating. We work in it every day. We watch it celebrated every single day. We are seduced by it every single day. It's an extreme challenge to submit your dreams and pursuits to the way of Jesus, to be humble, to be rejected, to be humiliated, to even sacrifice and die. But without the seed, there's no tree. There's no tree. It's so important. That's what the mustard seed is teaching us. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. That's the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And that is how we act in the kingdom of heaven. God help us. And then he says this in verse 33. He gives another parable. And he teaches us that God uses the unseen for kingdom transformation. Uses the unseen for kingdom transformation. Look at what he says in verse 33. He told them another parable. I just want, I just want to say, is it, isn't Jesus brilliant? Uh, sometimes we, uh, you know, I, I, we downplay how actually brilliant 
Uh, it's not a surprise. You say, well, why is that a surprise? He's God, right? So, like, no, it's not a surprise, but we should be worshiping the Lord for his brilliance. The fact that he could take these normal little everyday things and be able to put them before people and teach them about his kingdom related to these things. It's absolutely remarkable. He says the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. God uses the unseen for kingdom transformation. Now, leaven, I don't know if you know what leaven is. I know it's used many times in Scripture in a negative way. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, just a few chapters from here, in verse 11 of chapter 16, he says to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's talking about their teaching, how easily they can spread, right? So beware of the leaven. But here Jesus is actually using it positively. He's not using it negatively. He's using it as a picture of inner transformation. It's not technically yeast. Okay, so like when I think of yeast, you know, I, I, I just want to come up clean telling you, like I'm giving you an illustration here that I really know nothing about. Okay, so, but when I think of yeast, I think about going to the grocery store, grabbing a little packet off the shelf, you know, I don't know what color the packets are, they're either yellow or red, I think, something like that. And, you know, you, you tear it open, you go home, actually wait to go home first, then tear it open, right? And then you add it to some water and to some flour, and then you, and then you let it, you let it, uh, you knead it in and you let it proof, right? See, I watched some of those shows too. You let it proof for a period of time, let it rest, and then what happens to the dough? It rises. Hopefully it rises, right? That's what happens. That's... Technically, leaven is not yeast, even though that's how it kind of works. Because in the first century, they didn't have a grocery store. They weren't able to run down to the corner store and pull something off the, off the corner. No, that actually, making bread was like an everyday experience for them. Like, they had to make bread. They made it every single day. So every day, they were making bread. And as they, you know, as they needed you know, the flour and stuff like that, and, and then it would rise, it would rise up, and then what would they do? Every single day, they would take a little pinch, a little pinch of that dough that has risen. They would set it aside, right? And then they would bake their bread, and then the next day, they would take that little pinch of bread that they set aside, and with their new batch of flour, they would take that, and they would put it into that flour and knead it into the flour because it, it had all of it, it had all the rising agency that it needed. And so it put it in there with the hope of putting that in there. And it would allow the bread to rise. You see that? So it's not, this is not a grocery store thing. This is like a life and death thing for them. They're pinching the dough off. The, they're taking it from yesterday's dough and putting it into today's flour. With the hope that it was going to, it was going to rise. So she, it says, the text says she hides it or she kneads it into the flour. She puts it into, into three measures of flour, like Sarah did in the Old Testament in Genesis 18, or Gideon did, or Hannah did in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24. The leaven is a small part, but in time it transforms all the dough. Okay, it's a small part that transforms all the dough. It's a small amount of leaven that impacts a large quantity of flour. In fact, three, 
these, these three measures of flour would, some suggest, would feed maybe up to 150 people. I mean, that's a lot of people. I don't know if she was being a big party at her house or something. I don't know, but it, it's like a day-to-day thing with them. They just kind of did And the result is, it says in the text, that the dough rises till it was all leavened. The dough rises up. See, a small thing leads to kingdom transformation. A small thing leads to kingdom transformation, this inner kind of work of transforming, transforming things. I, I, don't, I, I don't know if the disciples, get, as they're listening to this, as Jesus is telling these parables to them, does he, does, do they really grasp what he's saying? He's trying to say to them, listen, the smallness of the kingdom now, how, how tiny it may be, as inconsequential as it may seem right now, it's going to have a massive impact down the road. You think about Revelation chapter 11, when it says in verse 15, he says that there's going to be a time when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Did they fully grasp this? I'm not sure. But this is the direction. This is the direction the kingdom of heaven is, is moving in. It's moving this. But don't miss the point. The point is this. It starts Small. It starts small. And this is what the nature, this is the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And this is how we are to act while we are in the kingdom of heaven. We're supposed to act the same way. This is what the kingdom is like. This is how the kingdom works. This is how we participate in it. There's no bread without the small pinch of dough, without the leaven. And our participation in the kingdom has to match the nature of the kingdom itself. We live in a world that's all about public performance. Have you noticed today that it's all about being noticed? I mean, some of you may have even made posts before you came to the church. I'm sure you're not doing it while you're in church. But some of you maybe have posted, and you're wondering, how many likes did I get? How many followers have I gained? Do you know there are people that actually have millions of people that are following them on YouTube, or following them on Instagram, or following them on Twitter, or following them on whatever? That's just mind-boggling me to think, that's mind-boggling me to think that anybody could get that many. And some of you, there might be some of you that are actually in this room right now that have that kind of number of people that are actually following you, whatever that means. But that's what this world is like. It's about social media. It's about look at me. Actually, no, don't really look at me. Just look at the type of me that I want you to see. That's just, I kind of, just thinking about that is kind of weird. But that's the world we live in. We live in a world that is about public performance, but that is not the way of the kingdom. I'm not anti-social media. I'm not anti those kinds of things. I think there are dangers about it, things like that. This is not the point. The point here is that the way of the kingdom of heaven is not about public performance. It's about a hidden life in Jesus. She hides it. She put it into the flower. She kneaded it into the flower. And that's how the transformation took place. 
John 15, 5, Jesus says, For apart from me you can do nothing. And then he says this in verse 7 to 10. If you abide in me and my words abide in you and whatever you wish... And it will, it will be done. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have, have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. It's all about abiding, isn't it? If you abide in me, if my words abide in you. Abide in my love, right? Abide in his love. It's all about abiding. It's about that word abide. You know what it means? It means to dwell. It means to dwell. Dwelling is, is it takes time. Dwelling takes time. It's not fast. It's not quick. He says, abide in Jesus. You're dwelling with Jesus. You're dwelling with Jesus when his word actually is dwelling in you. You are abiding in, and then you're supposed to abide in Jesus' love. Remind, dwell in the gospel. Be reminded of what Christ has done for you. Be reminded of the sacrifice that he has paid on your behalf. Be reminded of what he has done for you. Be reminded of the fact that he's forgiven your sins. Abide in Jesus' love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, he says. Isn't that... Isn't that mind-blowing to think that the way that the Father has loved the, the Son eternally is the same way that Jesus loves us? Think about it. Dwell on it. Abide in it. A proof of our love for the Lord is in keeping his commandments. This is a life that's hidden in prayer, a life that's hidden in communion with Jesus. It's a it's a life that's hidden in loving others, removed from having to be seen. That's what the kingdom is like. It's how it works. It's how we participate in it. It's interesting to me that some of us who are actually trying to live hidden lives in Christ don't think that we're making or could make a difference in the kingdom. That might be humility, but it also might be the fact that we're just so entrenched in the way the world assesses things about what is significant and what is successful that we just can't envision God using us at all. Oh, contraire. It's just not the way it is. Tell yourself, it's just not the way it is. God uses imperfect people who are abiding in and trusting in a perfect God. He uses the insignificant. He uses the inconsequential. He uses the inconspicuous to advance the kingdom. The question is, do you actually believe that? You know, when I was 19 years old, some old guy stood at the front of the auditorium and told me stuff like that. And I knew it, but it just didn't it just it just didn't sink in and it was probably because I was in a battle against the way that the world was envisioning 
how things were actually done in the kingdom of heaven. We had somehow taken all the stuff that the world bombards us with and placed it on the kingdom of heaven itself. No matter what the position is that you hold, no matter the amount of influence that you have been given, no matter how large or how small your platform is, no matter how gifted you are, no matter, about, no matter how much achievement you've gained or how far you've advanced, no matter how many likes you have from others, in his kingdom, God uses those who are humble and hidden who have the mind of Christ and who are abiding in Christ. Those who are not doing things from selfish ambition or conceit, those who are counting others more significant than themselves, those who are looking not only on their own interests but the interests of others, those who are connected to Jesus, who are dwelling with Jesus, who are spending time with Jesus, who are seeking to uncompartmentalize their life with Jesus. Those are the ones... Those are the ones that the Lord uses for kingdom impact. That's not the world's way, but it is Jesus' way. Like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That's the word of the Lord. Jesus' words himself. God help us to follow him. Let's pray together. I want you to take just a few minutes now just to reflect on these two words, humble and hidden. Just think about humble and hidden. I want you to talk to the Lord about whether you, do you feel like you actually have the mind of Christ right now? Are you humble? Are you hidden? Are you actually abiding in Christ? Are you really dwelling with Christ? Remember, the Lord uses the insignificant, the inconsequential, even the inconspicuous to advance his kingdom. But take a few minutes, just on your own, where you're seated right now, pray to the Lord, talk to him about humble and hidden. <laughs>